0: Here we are week four of a life equipping and I pray life changing series where we're leaning into the soul healing restoration of Psalm 23 verse 3. And no, we did not put the sign in the women's restroom uh, for the series. It's been there. So maybe some people need to take a field trip to the women's restroom to see the sign that says he restores our soul. So yeah, these past three weeks have held critical components if we're to live a life of true peace and joy. Truly, though this week and the content from this week stands alone, contextually, it's not enough without the crucial foundation for soul healing that we've established in the first three weeks. So if you can get your hand on that somehow, that'd be fantastic by looking at previous messages or however you want to. But this is the beauty of six weeks. It actually allows for us to build a house a bit, but don't forget that without the foundation, it won't stand, right? Thumbs up. So simply put, the life that Christ purchased us is not going to be ours unless we live from the souls that were made to be, submitted to and confident in the intentional creation of God, including the way he decided to craft us to craft you. That was week one. Two, we're not going to experience peace and joy unless we live on the foundation of God's character and revealed promises stemming from his nature, as opposed to living in some fleeting societal valuation or half-baked social media messaging. That's week two. And then last week, we've got to understand the unseen battle against faith in every form and the very personal way in which we are targeted by anti-God, anti-Jesus lies offered us in the place of our spirits regularly. That was last week. So to that point, how many of you remembered the commitment we made to never go to bed again without asking ourselves what's one lie evil tried to tell me today? You know, the the point was that the spiritual battle needs to be a regular, non-weird, non-big deal, just normal part of our lives as followers, amen? So by way of making it personal and practical, here are some of the pieces of vile garbage uh, meant to discourage us that those here last week vulnerably identified as common bait that they're given. So these were written by you all last week. Just a reminder that we are regularly pelted with things like, I can't be forgiven for that. You're a dirt ball and a terrible parent, sibling, family member. I can't share my past. Your life will not make any difference. No one will love me if they know about my abortion. I can't be forgiven for multiple divorces. I'm broken. I'm dumb. I have no purpose or value to God. I'm dirty. I'm not good enough. I have nothing unique to offer. I'm not worth anyone's time. I'll never succeed. I'm not wanting to live and worthy to live. I'm not lovable. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough to lead, to guide others, to offer wisdom don't trust anyone, especially men. Everyone here would be better off without me. God merely tolerates me grudgingly. He doesn't love me passionately. You have to get everything right. I'm not good enough. There's no use trying. No one really loves you. God doesn't help me like he helps others. I am disposable. We could just stop there on one level and take in the reality of that pummeling, coming against each and every one of us, right? So knowing that you and I, every one of us, is subject to that kind of hellish bait coming at you this week, how did you do with your 3R tool? Do you remember it? It is recognize and then what? Reject and then? Replace, replace it with what? what right with god's truth recognize reject replace that's essentially 2 Corinthians 10:5 which is we take every thought captive to make it obedient to the knowledge of Christ so let me just grab a couple okay i can't be forgiven for that let's do it together whoever's that was i pray that right now you're rejecting it you're saying that's not true you're rejecting it. And so let's replace it with the truth. Psalm 103, verse 3 says, uh, He forgave us all our sins. In Psalm 103, it also says, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Romans 8:1 says, There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? That's how you can replace that with the truth of God, right? How about you're a dirt ball and a terrible parent, Sibling family member. Well, we talked about Ephesians 2.10. No, you're not a dirtball. You're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Zephaniah 3.17 says the Lord takes great delight in you. Psalm 149 verse 4 says the same thing. The Lord takes great delight in his people. Uh, here, I can't share my past. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Behold, the old is gone. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come right? Philippians 3, uh, Paul shows us, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see how you can take these lies if you recognize what's going on in your soul and replace them with the truth of God. Do you see? These are yours. Uh, Your life will not make any difference. Come on. Matthew 5 says you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. 1 Peter 2.9 says you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of his darkness into uh, his wonderful light. You see, we can do this with every one of these. You want to shut the doors and just lock them down and do it all day long? It'd be a good day, wouldn't it? But I pray you're doing that with the lie that you know you're being pelted with on the regular. So here's the turn we're making today. When you think about what lies you're susceptible to, and you put them against the ones that other people are baited with, why do you think some people are more easily brought down and entangled by certain lies than others? Primarily, it's because the places of hurt and difficulty are different for each one of us. And that's the fodder from which hell scans our stories to pummel us with lies that are most likely to take our faith down. In other words, hell is going to use material from our wounds to lie to us about God, about ourselves, and about others. Does that make sense? So, like, for instance, Mike has never struggled, excuse me, with a suggestion that he might not be lovable. <laughs> I have. Well, why? Why do you think that I'm susceptible to that bait and he's not? Well, because he came from a family, a really well uh, intact family, that did a great job of making sure that he knew he was lovable. And when my mom left when I was 11, my family fractured, and certainly I uh, will struggle with the bait of lovability since then, right? So the point here is this, we, even if we know evil assaults our faith with lies, we must know which ones we are personally most susceptible to. So Ephesians 6.12, if you remember, it said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities and forces of darkness in the unseen spiritual places. The first part of that was we're going to struggle. John, excuse me, Jesus even said that in John 16.33, he said, in this world you will have He said, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Do you hear it? Take heart is live from your souls, live from your souls. We keep saying, we have to be people that live from our souls. And he said this, in this world you will have world equals trouble. Trouble equals world. So when we encounter trouble, don't take the bait to misinterpret as you're a bad Christian. God's not coming through for you. My faith isn't real. God's not real. No, it just means what Jesus said it would mean, that the world equals trouble. Amen? But every day we have to understand that this means there's a battle against your heart, your faith. And what happens to people in battle, guys? They get wounded. So this, in this faith battle over our hearts, and ultimately why we need soul healing, we need to understand that our hurts, our insecurities, our doubts and fears are part of a diabolical scheme to keep us from living loved and free in Christ and glorifying God with our lives. In other words, our woundings, hurts, and outworkings of them will be used against us. How? Well, for the purposes of trying to steal, kill, and destroy our faith, as Jesus said in John 10, 10. Listen, it's easy to say God is good when things are going well, but when your spouse has an affair, when your child gets a terminal diagnosis, or your layoff is profoundly unjust, it becomes real hard to say God is good then, doesn't it? And to this point, how many of us have been hurt? Right? All of us. And what happens with people who have been wounded? Hurt people hurt people. We all get damaged. Emotional wounds sometimes make it very hard for us to fully trust God as the unconditionally loving Father He is because of that scar tissue from other people and events. For instance, some people even have a hard time referring to God as Father because of what that evokes from their human standpoint, let alone calling Him Daddy, as Romans 8 suggests we do. Perhaps you can identify with that, but whatever the case, we can see the relationship between experiencing pain, betrayal, loss, abandonment, and a susceptibility to particular faith-questioning suggestions. Yes? So, remember, evil's not looking to just tempt us, but according to 1 Peter 5, evil's looking to do what? Prowling around like a roaring lion to devour our faith. So the Bible speaks of emotional injury like this. It refers to it as a wounded or broken spirit. The book of Proverbs says, a glad heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. Maybe that Proverb 15 is where you're at today. Here's one, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a broken spirit, who can bear? The Bible essentially refers to us all as brokenhearted, and in our pain, our brokenheartedness, that's where we need to understand what lies we're most vulnerable to believing. And we need to know these Not to affix blame in the past, not to live in the past, not to have an excuse for not taking responsibility for the life which is ours. No, we have to know these because our unexamined stuff rules us, if not. Can I get a witness? Because you know this. There are people that are like, you know, they're like, no, I'm fine and everyone knows they're not fine. How about the person that's like, no, I've gotten over that relationship, but you can feel they're seething with bitterness and they're like, no, I've moved on for that. And you're like, mm, uh-uh. <laughs> God's word tells us over and over to pay attention to our truest selves, our souls. Psalm 51.6 says, surely you desire truth in the inner parts, wisdom in the inmost place. Are you with me? That's what we're after and why we're doing this entire series and why we're talking about the difficult thing we're talking about today. So to this point... Paul teaches in Ephesians that unresolved emotional issues can create spiritual strongholds in our lives. Ephesians four twenty six says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're angry and therefore give the devil a foothold. Do you know what a foothold is? Here's a picture of it. It's a secure strategic position from which one can advance. Can you put the picture of it up? When that's the case, you can't keep a per, yeah, when that's the case, you can't keep that person from entering. Listen, I did this example physically with my then 40 pound, very small son, when he was quite small, when we were trying to talk about giving the devil a foothold, and he put his foot in, and I was on the other side of the door with all of my mm-hmm all the things, and he could still push the door open quite easily. Why? Just because of that little teeny tiny foot and that little teeny tiny foothold. And some of you are wondering why you can't get over your self-hatred, your self-harm that comes with it, why you can't shake that porn addiction and porn usage though you want to so much. Maybe it's because that foot's still in the door because of lies from your wounds, and you never realize that. Undealt with, our pain can also cause us to go, what Hebrews says, is through life out of joint. You know what it's like to have something dislocated, and your entire life becomes revolved around like the dislocation, can't do that, can't go there, can't lift that, can't touch that, because of my injury. And some of us have the, are doing that emotionally. We've been moving our lives and wrapping our lives around an emotional injury. Undealt with, our, also, our pain can also become honestly an idol. There are so many people, it's almost a TikTok trend today, where your diagnosis is your identity. That's idolatry. I mean, have you asked somebody, how are you? And they say, oh, I was anxious all day yesterday and couldn't leave the house. And then the answer would be like, no, I'm sad and discouraged that I struggled with anxiety all day yesterday. We're separate from our diagnosis. I often see two extremes in the body of Christ. People that won't deal with their stuff, right? Before God, and other people that are never able to get out of dealing with their stuff. To the first, it doesn't work. Stuffing isn't godly. You can only keep a beach ball underwater for so long before it then comes blasting up. Amen? And then there's the other extreme where there is no healing or overcoming. They're in perpetual recovery because pain has become an idol. It's become the defining force in their lives and for their identity. I see that as Isaiah 28, 15, it says, for we may have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. So the point is this. We have to be wise about how we're wounded in order to be transformed beyond the damage. That's the only reason. We're not talking about this stuff because I'm a doctor, because I'm a counselor. No, we're talking about this stuff because I'm a disciple and so are you. And we need to be transformed beyond the damage. In other words, 30 years of counseling, I'll just synopsize it this way. Deal with your stuff, or it will deal with you. Yes? Why? Why are we doing this? Because remember last week, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. That's why we're doing this. Your stuff is a part of hell's schemes against you. Our past is the raw material that Satan uses to deceive, to lie, and accuse souls. You know you never questioned safety until someone robbed your house, you never never had a fear of dogs until one bit you, and you never questioned your likability or value until your friend ghosted then trashed you. Our past and our circumstances do give certain templates that we look through. Whatever's happened in our past teaches us something for better or for worse. Evil wants to use our past hurts, be they big or small, to completely destroy us and keep us from ever trusting people or God again. So, the damage of wounds is that they provide fertile ground for hellish schemes of doubt, right? So, when I'm talking about wounds, I just like to kind of put them in two categories. The first one is what I would call wounds of commission. You know what that is? Something done to you, done against you, done by others kind of on purpose. So, that's kind of like you got hit in the face, you got yelled at by like a parent or teacher or someone intentionally lied to you, mocked you. That's a wound of commission. So in a picture that I've developed simply by people sharing in deep heart spaces with me for 30 years in a counseling office, that's what this is going to be for the next few minutes. It's just a conceptualization. I did not get this from the Bible. I want you to be clear about that. This came from just working with people. But I found it's kind of like this, that at the time an injury happens, an emotional wound happens. So you can see here's a part of my arm. It's like, you know, Ryan would step up here and just take a fillet knife and just take a big old gash out of my arm. That's kind of what happens in our emotional, soul kind of place when something happens to us that's a wound. And i found that in, in that space that was not there before, space that wasn't there before, evil tries to implant a lie right then. Are you with me? And what do you think happens when that lie goes in? Well, like a baby that has a little teeny tiny nick on their forehead, it becomes a scar and it grows with us. Have you ever seen a scar that somebody got when, in childhood that's a very large scar? It grew with them over time. That's why we can more easily navigate hurt today. But in our formative years, hurts and wounds can become embedded in our forming brains in highly impactful ways. Listen, let's just look at a visual together, my visual, for what can happen when wounds and, and then lies that go in because of wounds are there. Can we see that picture, please? Yeah, so here it is. So, right, in the space that wasn't there before, a lie from hell is going to rush in if we don't stop it. And then, guess what happens? If there is a lie embedded in a space that wasn't there before, it then can become a lens that we look through. It becomes a filter, a way of looking at life self and others. Listen, I have a client who anticipates that people's gonna, people are going to think he's lazy and immature, and he spends a great deal of his life trying to counteract that. Rather than seeing the reality of his actual intelligence, attractiveness, and honestly, he's actually intimidating, but he doesn't see it. He only sees through the filter from his wounds. Certainly, we know the young woman that would struggle with body image who you know It's because someone told her she was fat when she was young. And you look at her today and you know she is not fat and yet you can see firmly she has a lens on. She looks in the mirror and sees fat. That is an example of what happens. And what happens is if you have some lie-based lens on that people can't be trusted, that you're unlovable, what's gonna happen is evidence to the contrary will exist, but you will not see it, you will miss it because you have the lens on. And so your lens is not taking it in. So all this evidence to the contrary is drifting away from you. And then what happens is if the lie is embedded and a filter is in place, well, then you know what happens, right? Then a pattern of living, a way of behaving out of that develops. It's a way of behaving based on the wound. If you have a hard time connecting with this, think about a 35-year-old woman whose actions through behavior, dress, or possessions even, aren't those of a woman, but that they're cries of a little girl whose heart was broken when she was five. My very first client in San Antonio had a heinous, abusive past, and she obsessively collected teddy bears. Likewise, there are things you do that you cannot provide a reasonable explanation for. Those of you literally (laughs) unable to resist a Krispy Kreme donut. (sighs) Maybe that's a hunger for something more than sweets. Love, perhaps? Comfort? Or what keeps you obsessively late at the office? What is it that you're hoping for? Approval for someone to finally say, we're so proud of you. How about the lure of the site you swore you'd never visit again? What's going on there? What lie is driving that pattern of behavior? And just by way of thoughtfulness, we all sit here today with our former us inside of us. Young you is in you today. (laughs) Are you helping him or her heal in health? Are you trying to keep his or her feelings, wants and needs quiet, duct taped in the closet? What age would you put your emotional self at today? One of the questions I have come to ask people is what age they feel inside. A large majority feel significantly younger. These are whispers of our wounded, broken nature. And our patterns of living provide clues to what wounds lie beneath. So if you're struggling with like, I don't know what kind of patterns I live in, because that's the place where we're at right now, is looking at patterns, ask yourself, like, just complete this. I'm most likely to blank. I'm the kind of person who blank. That might help you. John Eldridge does speak about our patterns. He says, why are you afraid of heights or intimacy or public speaking? All the discipline in the world wouldn't get you to go skydiving, share something really personal in a small group, or take the pulpit next Sunday. Why do you hate it when people touch you? Or criticize you? And what about those little idiosyncrasies you just can't give up to save your life? Why do you bite your nails? Why do you work so many hours? Why are you so irritated at questions like these? You won't go out unless your makeup's perfect, why? And something in you freezes when your dad calls. What's that about? You clean and organize incessantly, did you ever wonder why? What has life taught you about your God-given glory? What have you believed about yourself over the years, that you're not worth anyone's time, that you shouldn't trust anyone, that you're selfish, that you're bad, what? So here's why I quote John Eldridge on that, because it ties together last week and this week for us. He says, those accusations you heard growing up, those core convictions that, you, that uh, formed about your heart will remain down there until someone comes to dislodge them. Well, that someone is you and Jesus today. So let's just do it together live. So let's uh, interact for a bit. So, if the wound is, let's just say something like you're left out by friends, what are some potential lies that could go in at the time of that wounding? If you're left out by friends, excluded. They don't like me. Come on. You're weird. You don't belong. Right? And if those lies are embedded from that wound, what are some potential ways of behaving, some potential behavioral patterns you have as a result of those kinds of lies being embedded? What are some things that could result in your life from that wound and those lies being embedded? Say it again. Avoid people. You look, for hurts to come your way. you look for, yeah, absolutely. You look for hurts to come your way. Look for say it again. Look for where you yes. Look for acceptance where you shouldn't. So good. All right. How about that typical uh, one that happens a lot? Let's just say your parents get divorced. So, that happened to me. I can tell you what kind of lies go in at the time of that wounding. What kind of lies can go in at the time of that wounding? It's your fault. fault. What else? People who are supposed to uh, say they'll be there for you won't. What else? Love Love doesn't last forever and marriage is dumb. What else? Right? You can see those kinds of lies when they're in there. So, you tell me what kind of patterns of relating could come about as a result of those kind of lies being embedded. Don't commit, don't trust, right? You can see how these things relate. And listen, statistics bear out that one in every four of you in this room has been sexually violated in some way. I believe a lot of the lies that I read at the outset of this that you put down on paper are a result of that. But what are some lies that go in at the time of that kind of wounding? Lose your voice. I don't have a right to have a voice to say what my needs and wants should be. Yes. What else? Say it again. I'm damaged. I I deserved it. (sighs) Right? Not worth protecting. protecting. Right. So you can see what happens when we have this wound and these kinds of lies in place. What kinds of patterns of behavior could come about as a result of that? Let it happen again because I don't have a right to right to my own voice. What else? Self-harm, low self-esteem, certainly depression, right? So you can see on this chart, there's a lie that goes, excuse me, a wound that happens and lies that will go in. And unless we, uh, unless we recognize and remove these, right, we're going to see out of them like lenses. So I don't know what you're taking in right now, but I would encourage you to take this chart, this idea, and take it from here and ask God so that we can be wise in the inner parts, have truth in the inmost place. And I'm just gonna say this as I get to be with you this morning, you amazing people. We would be so much more aware of these realities if emotional wounds were as visible as physical ones, right? Oh, how often I really 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 wish this were the case some of you have had the emotional equivalent of an arm and a leg lopped off and if we could see each other that way there would be ones of us right here in wheelchairs missing limbs with disfiguring scars and yet look at you you're here you're rising again you're pursuing Christ because we all look okay but emotionally what's your state Let's not be deceived. Let's remember everyone's been wounded and being lied to, right? Come on, do I need to actually give these back out so that we can take one with us and remember he or she was in the room? We're all being lied to. We're all being assaulted in the realm of the spiritual. And if we remembered that, if someone didn't have an arm, we wouldn't demand a hug. And if someone was in a wheelchair, we wouldn't silently judge them for not running faster. So this brings us back to the idea of knowing our damage, knowing whether we have lies embedded within. It's because we can't know the picture of restoration until we're aware of what damage has been done. That's why we're doing this soul healing series and why your engagement has been so awesome. But the point is this. Here's the point. We can either be stuck in some damage from the past or we can be healed and free in Jesus to fully live the moments ahead of us. Listen to Hebrews 12, 13, which was the verse that gave the picture of us being out of joint that I mentioned earlier. It says, make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be out of joint, but rather be healed. We are to be about the business of making straight paths. And I wanted to introduce a friend today who is doing this and doing the healing path work. Would you give it up for Grady Dalzell? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Grady.
1: Hi, Tammy. Uh, Hi, Vista Friends. Can I hijack awesome. some yes, of Yes, you can.
0: It's good luck. <laughs> Thanks, old space. buddy. Appreciate it. Uh, Grady is a Young Life Area Director. Yes. And this one man has been responsible for untold thousands of lives uh, following Jesus now because of your, yeah, it's so true. He's a dad of two little boys.
1: They're awesome. They're and the And a best. husband,
0: yeah, so I'm so thankful. To have Grady here, because this is a person I know that's done the work, and he is in the place of making a straight paths for his feet and for healing to have occurred, so I thought he'd be a great voice to help us sort of practically take it in. So here's my question. Describe how this process of discovery and change has been for you in your own life.
1: Sure. Thanks, Tammy. And thank you, Vista Friends, for having me and let me share a little bit about what God's been doing in my life. Um, to answer that question about the discovery of where this is at, at in my life and how I wear these lenses, I, uh, I grew up in Athens, Ohio, in the sticks outside of Ohio University, and um, I get going into high school, becoming a 16-year-old, what I learned about life was okay, figure out the rules of any group of people, be really good and achieve, dominate, that's how you will be safe, that's how you'll be lovable, that's what that is. And I was very good at the high school game. Uh, but at the same time, I, while good at performing at the game, whether it be the grades, get the girls, get the guys, what, whatever it is that I'm trying to do, I'm good at it. I'm also always terrified that I'm, I'm not going to attain that. I'm not going to hit the mark. And uh, it's this dichotomy of like, Perform, 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 but I'm actually terrified on the inside. So when I met Christ as a 16-year-old, I was at a homecoming dance. I'd been hearing about Jesus for about a year. I was at a homecoming dance. And the invitation to follow Jesus for me was in large part a, you don't have to try to perform. You don't have to try Mm. to uh, be enough for everybody. You can freely receive from God love, acceptance that is yours to be had. So uh, I gladly ran into that and out of the pressure of be enough, perform enough, and I go forward. So I go into college. uh, I become a Young Life leader, um, loving leading young life and growing in Christ and learning amazing things about who I really am and why I'm really lovable, why I really matter. But in large part, my experience is still often a whole lot of fear, Hmm. a whole lot of anxiety, in particular around things. You know, now my life... Of what i'm giving my life toward trying to help other people know this love of christ it's a huge deal and it starts feeling like pressure mm. make happen be enough uh and so i'm like i'm living still in this old experience mm-hmm. uh even in this new life uh fast forward i'm just get out of college uh, i'm dating this girl who's amazing in southern california i'm i'm uh, in delaware ohio and uh we get off the phone one night. And I have this, like, disproportionate amount of fear and anxiety mm. from how this conversation went. Mm. She, she didn't seem that interested in me, and I start kind of spiraling. And, I went, and all of a sudden, I realized I'm like, this is pretty unreasonable. Like, who knows? She might have been tired. She might have been whatever. Right. But immediately, right. I was running back to this. Yeah. I'm not enough. Yeah. I'm not doing enough. I'm not being enough. I'm about to be rejected. And then all of a sudden, I start realizing... I, I've got some wounds, yeah. and I, it reminds me of when I was in kindergarten, I had a pretty significant uh, mm. friendship projection episode that went down where all of a sudden one day my best friends were like, hey, stop following us, get out of here, and it kind of unraveled and was kind of traumatic. Fast forward in fourth in fourth grade, I vividly remember sitting with my dad, and we're going through my midterm report, and I've got all A's on everything, and then I got like a I got an 18 out of 20 uh, or sorry, 16 out of 20 on a math quiz. I remember, I was in fourth grade. And he just stops and says pretty solemnly, like, what happened here? And I remember reading that like, uh-oh, like, I've got to perform or else I'm not enough. And all of a sudden I start realizing like, oh, I, this stuff comes from my childhood. And I'm like, and I'm, and I rather than, I'm sure my dad did not mean to communicate to me, hey, you better perform or else you're going to get rejected. But uh, one thing that I've heard is... Um, children are amazing observers, but horrible interpreters. And so I just took that to being like, oh, be the best yeah. or else you will get cast aside. Yeah. You will not receive affection. You, that's. Yeah. And so and I'm like, I'm still living out of this as a 22 year old. Fast forward some more. I'm still on Young Life staff, getting to be a part of amazing things, trying to, trying to fight this stuff with capital T truth of like when I'm starting to feel this, like, no, God does love me. He is on me. He is using me. He's got this thing. But still, often, I'm, I'm terrified and fearful until, until we hit COVID finally. <laughs> and, uh, and all of a sudden, these gifts that I have, I do have a gift for it. dreaming about what could be, what could life, when in college, what could life feel like on campus? What could it mm-hmm. look like to try to reach kids? Like, it's, it's easy for me to dream. But all of a sudden, in COVID, when everyone's kind of unhealthy and freaking out, People don't want to dream, you know what I mean? People just want to exist. And all of a sudden, I feel like my passion's and vision. Now I'm, now I'm not struggling with feeling like I'm not enough. Now I feel like I'm too much. And I'm just like <laughs> stuck in the dirt. And I was, I was so disoriented. And I was like, what is going on? And that led to me connecting with Tammy. And we start talking about, hey, how is this actually playing out in your life? And one thing I realized in particular was... Even though I know the capital T truths about Christ that we've been talking about, and you do need to take those in. Like, when you put on this lens, this wounded lens, yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. So, for me, it was this, I'm not enough, so I need to perform or else I'm going to get cast aside. I, that lens filters out all the information right. except for what fits yes. with the lie. Yes, come on. Uh, so, for me, so a practical example for me was uh, this happened just literally uh, a year a year and a half ago. We're getting ready, we do lots of different, uh, I am in charge of organizing lots of different gatherings within Young Life, and one of which, we're coming together as a whole area for the leaders to get to work together and kids to get to see kind of a larger picture of what God's doing. Um, And So I highly believe in empowering leaders, so I'm giving this to some of our best volunteers to kind of pick up and run and work together for them to grow. I have one guy that I work with pretty regularly who's a volunteer, he doesn't like, we've done this event before, he just doesn't like it in general, doesn't agree with it, and we've talked through it, and I still, I still like it, I think it's worth doing. But all of a sudden though, as we get closer to this gathering of people, uh, this event, that's upcoming, I, there are a couple things going on that uh, in its preparation, it looks like it's not gonna go well. Like it's a little, a little bit disorganized. I'm like, are certain things gonna be executed? Executed and I start feeling like, oh, no, like, this is bad. And, uh, but Tammy had taught me this, uh, this practice of, like, okay, when you start to feel yourself, yeah. go to this, the wounded stuff. So for me, it's this tightness, anxiety. Yeah, She's like, write it down. So I write down, I'm like, okay, I'm anxious about uh, this Christmas club gathering we're doing. I'm like, okay, why am I anxious about it? I'm mm. like, oh, I don't think it's going to go well. Why does that matter to me? Oh, because I'll call him John. It's gonna think I'm an idiot. He's gonna think I told you so. We shouldn't have done this, and uh, and I am the problem. I should have listened to him. I am gonna prove him right that I'm not a good leader. I shouldn't be a part of this. I shouldn't do this. And that's all I can see because I'm in those lenses. Yes. But capital uh, uh, capital T truth, like God has put me here. He's chosen me. But tiny T truth, I'm ignoring all the other real experiences that are true. Of like, actually no. John doesn't think I'm an idiot. I'm I'm ignoring the, all these other places where, like, he has affirmed me. He's chosen to continue to partner with me. He has shown me that he enjoys working with me. And also, I do believe in empowering volunteer leaders, even if it does fail and fall. And I'm, I'm just ignoring that stuff. Right. So as I write it down, I'm like, no, I'm ignoring these other things that are true of, like, no, God has chosen me to do this. And this is a good place to be. And these guys do enjoy me. And even if this doesn't go amazing, like, this is worth doing. So... Yeah, if I were to exhort you to do anything about what she's talking about, like write it down. If you're like, oh, I'm, you feel it, like, of like, this does not feel like freedom, life, power, yeah, self control. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, write it, write it down. What is, what is this about? It's about this thing. Oh, what's the thing under the thing? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then replace it with the capital T truth, and awesome. then even the lower T truth. So anyway, it works. It lets you enjoy yourself more because you are wonderful. That's a thing that's largely hard for me to believe, but. Made wonderfully by God, it's true, and I, I enjoy that more because of the work that Tammy's. And
0: you've been so Tammy's enjoyable, selling, so. hasn't he? This but awesome. Thank you. Thanks, I mean, gosh, thank you're the you best. so much. So good. I so appreciate good. you. So good. Wow, he just he just took the whole thing and just laid it out for us, didn't he? So I'm hoping that thank you so much, Greg. So I'm hoping that you're able to pull from there even a super practical example of how it looks and how you battle, what you recognize, and how you move through it. But wasn't it heartbreaking to hear he struggles? with the same kind of lies that we all struggle with, right? It just continues to bring home the reality that every one of us is under it, right? Which harkens back to the outset of the message and how the Lord depicts us all as brokenhearted. So here's the good news for us today. It's Psalm 147, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Hey, listen, perhaps some of you have fallen prey this morning to a common scheme to think that in comparison to others, I'm not so bad off that your wounds are not the same as them and so this doesn't apply to you. No, 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 no. Don't fall prey to that scheme. Listen, depending upon your age or circumstances, it could be an embarrassing moment like stuttering in front of a class or hearing a harsh word from your mother. Eldridge says the bottom line is that Jesus speaks to us as though we're all brokenhearted. Right? So... Psalm 147, verse 3, is the premise of the focus on healing, that God has help, wholeness, and yes, even victory, peace, and joy for you. So by way of sort of closing it down, would you look at a verse with me, if you don't mind? Psalm 130, verse 7, says, Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Like what, what? Beth Moore brought out this interesting modification of the word redemption. Redemption doesn't need modified, right? We generally think of it as whole, as complete on its own, but there's something deeper here. Here's what she's getting at. We weren't meant to just make it, to just get through the pain. She says when we get out of the process too soon, the root of the issue is still there. And that plant has a strange way of growing back over time doesn't it? The goal is full redemption. So how do we define, what are we talking about full redemption? Well, I think that Paul provides us a powerful biblical definition in Philippians 1 verse 12. He said, and I want you to know brothers that whatsoever has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. If you haven't read Paul's story, you need to know it. But he was beaten. He was stoned. He was left for dead. He shipwrecked three times. He was spat on. He was persecuted. Like, there were so many things that happened to Paul. And he's saying all of that stuff was really used to advance the gospel. In other words, we can unconsciously think the point of this work is to diffuse it to where, the, where these things, these wounds have no more power over us. But No. The essence of full redemption is like this. I know it looks bad and it felt bad, but I no longer bow down to it. In other words, for years, without engaging the wounds we've talked about today and the hellish scheme behind them, we bow down to it and bow down to it and bow down to it. That is not full redemption. Full redemption is when God turns it around and uses it to empower you for the advancement of the gospel. Not just when he diffuses it, but when he turns it around to the point where you say, my past, On all that it was, I do not bow down to it. It bows down to me for the furtherance of the gospel. I have bowed down to you for 25 years, 35 years, feeling like a fraud, feeling like a failure, feeling like, you know, some sort of phony, some sort of freighty cat. Now, why don't you bow down to me for a while? Yeah? When you get your past to bow down to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news to heal all who are brokenhearted, that, my friends, is full redemption. Not just to fuse your pain a bit, but turn it around where it becomes a rushing wind behind us to push us forward into the advancement of the kingdom of love for the glory of God. Let's go! Why are we not cheering? (laughs) Because when you get to this point, when you get to this point, the enemy is sorry he ever messed with you. It's how Joseph Please go read Joseph's story, it's incredible. After the unbelievable wounding of beloved ones and multiple instances of egregious injustice that he endured that he can say in Genesis 50:20, what you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Do you believe that your greatest area of damage can become your greatest area of strength for helping others and loving others and being effective in the lives of others. Listen, the greatest damage done to me was actually not the divorce and my mom leaving, believe it or not. It had to do with just, unfortunately, I was 11, and she said to me, I'm going to leave you, your dad, and your brother in four months. That's all an 11-year-old can take in, but this is what she said, and you have to keep it a secret. You can tell no one. Right? For an 11-year-old, that's the greatest damage. So, friends, I am an excellent secret keeper. And what do I get to do weekly in my office? I get to keep secrets for the glory of God and the furtherance of the healing of Christ and the gospel of Christ in people's lives. Right? Are you with me? It's like this, you picked the wrong girl, Satan. And that is your story as well. The story of any and all who will allow the Lord to bring you to a place of taking you the whole way through something to full redemption. How are you? Where are you? Let's not let this moment pass. It's, it might have been a really hard morning for you, for some of you. But it's a good morning. Because it's time for us to walk free from the effects of those lies and the filters and that kind of thing. So we are going to have some folks on the side and then the back who will pray. So Sherry's going to be here. Why don't you stand there, Sherry? Uh, John and Mary are going to be back there. Adam's going to be over here. And what we, what we just want to encourage you to do, do not let this morning, this time pass, especially if you've recognized a wound that's been having a whole lot of sway in your life for a long time and you didn't realize it or a lie that you just can't get rid of or even a pattern of behavior that you know as a result of, I live pretty self-protected because of my wounds, whatever. Don't leave without taking the time to pray. Don't feel dumb, don't feel needy. It's not that, it's the, most, it's the smartest thing anyone of us, any of us in this room can do. Prayer is our most powerful thing. So if you don't know what to say, don't worry. They'll just pray for you. God knows your heart, right? So take this moment for that. Maybe you just need to stay and reflect and stay and write. Take the time you need. Take the time you need. Here's a question. Are you bowing down to your past or is your past bowing down to you for the advancement of the gospel? That is full redemption.